0: Everyone, and welcome to episode 533 of Aussie Tech Heads. Yes, it's another week, and it is recorded on the 11th of May 2017. I'm your host, Glenn Goodman, and we are, of course, joined as always by Jason Warlock Oakley and a special guest this week, Alex Kidman from finder.com.au. He's a tech telco editor fatducktech.com uh, for retro gaming and the vertical hold podcast which we've heard of before just recently so let's get into jace and then we'll have a chat to alex and see what he's been up to and he can tell us all about what he does through the day <laughs> jace first off how are you going
1: hey glenn not too bad
0: that's good good stuff what have you been up to anything exciting
1: Ah, We finally got the uh, inverter connected to the solar panel. So very happy about that. Started churning out the wattages during the day. All right, and good. I think I picked a good time, get it done now. And we'll be needing all the heaters and soon, sure enough, during the day. And since we all work from home, you know, we're going to need to use yeah. up the electricity like crazy. And oh, we got a dryer now because of uh, the Uh, not enough time to get everything dried on the line so that's going to chew the power so if we do all that through the day it should be quite good
0: yeah good stuff and uh alex welcome welcome to the show
1: Thanks
0: for having me. No problem. So this is the first time we've seen you on Aussie Tech Eds. The first time in 10 years. So uh, yes, big welcome. And it
2: had
1: to happen eventually. <laughs> yeah, it did have to, didn't it? It wasn't going to happen overnight, but it did happen. <laughs> yes.
0: Absolutely. Now tell us, uh, you, you wear a few hats by the look of it. Tell us, uh, first of all, what's You Go through what you do. What What's, what's going on with you?
2: okay so during the day you'll find me writing at finder.com.au australia's most visited comparison website and i write the tech and telco content so largely mobile phones and broadband uh, some gaming content and everything else that falls under the broad technology umbrella While i'm not doing that i also write a lot of retro gaming stuff at my own site fat duck tech Uh, retro gaming is a particular passion of mine and uh, I also co-host the Vertical Hold podcast with Adam Turner, who I believe was a guest just recently.
0: Yes, he was. That's right. Yes. Now, our uh, Vertical Hold—that's that—it used to be video, but now it's just audio. Is that right? So that's all on iTunes.
2: Yes. We, yes, we so we switched we switched to an audio format uh, largely because it's not just Adam and myself; we also have a variety of Australian tech journalists on. And because of the nature of where some of those people are located, it's a lot easier and a lot more fluid, we found, to do audio. It also enabled us to get a few other guests who weren't entirely comfortable being on camera.
1: Yeah, sure. Oh, and I also believe that you're up for a Lizzie soon, is that correct? And tell us about what that is. Uh,
2: I, am, I am indeed. So the, the Lizzies are the are the Australian IT Journo Awards. They're effectively the, the local tech media Oscars, if you will. Nice. Good stuff. Uh, into their 15th year now, and uh, I'm a finalist for Best Reviewer and Best Consumer Technology Journalist. Right. And, my, my, and I mean, uh, depending on where people are watching this, that may well have all been decided, but my, my <laughs> prediction is that I will not break a 15-year streak of being a finalist in Best Reviewer but not winning it. I'd be delighted to win it, and actually it's a very strong competition. There's a lot of very good Australian tech writers out there. So it's nice to be a finalist.
0: Nice.
2: Yes. I've got an awful lot of those finalist certificates. Let's put
0: it that way. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's good. Well, We'd vote for you if we could. Yes, all the best for that one. Now, I just did do a search. I was trying to do a show everyone a, a, what the Lizzie was all about, but I typed in Lizzie and I got lizzie.com.au, which is not, obviously not nothing to do with what you're going for. <laughs> I never heard of
1: that one. No. <laughs> it's L I Z Z I E.
0: Oh, is that yep. a, That's why I didn't find it. All right,
1: <laughs> usually called just the Lizzies.
0: Okay, well that's good. Now, uh, retro gaming, Fat Duck Tech. What's uh, what have you got a podcast with that, or is that just the just the website for that one? That
2: is just that 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 is purely the website. And whilst there are, I mean, there are oodles of of really excellent retro gaming resources online. This is very much my personal view on retro gaming. I am an older gamer, and I wear that badge quite proudly. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's just you know it's it's. Random musings on the things that I'm doing right at the moment. Uh, I'm making my way after 20 years. I'm making my way through Final Fantasy VII again, and that's eating up an awful lot of time. Um, I also write fairly frequently on things like the price of retro gaming because that stuff's gone through (laughs) the roof of late. Right. Uh, And then just, you know, curious bits and pieces that I find online.
0: Yeah, and I was just as just watching now, just scrolling through the website. Yeah, those little uh, what are they? Nintendo handheld games from the Game and Watch. When were they? The eighties. The yeah.
2: So the first Game and Watch, yeah, the first Game and Watch came out in nineteen eighty, and they were very much an eighties thing. Uh, mm. I've got about half a dozen of them, a couple of which still work. It's a, it's a bit depressing because when those things die, they're not entirely repairable. Which is, right. Yes.
0: Yeah. I think pathetic. I can remember uh, the ones I had. The first one I had was Popeye. And I think mm. I, I had Turtle Bridge. And oh, yeah. there, was there another one? Octopus? O- octopus or something? Octopus,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah. Octopus is class. <laughs> Everyone must have had Octopus. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone should have had Octopus.
0: i <laughs> about this. So, are, are, you, are you into the pinball machines as well, or is it just the, the home uh, consoles?
2: Uh, i'm into the pinball machines when i can get access to them the the challenge for and actually i've written about this recently the challenge for pinball machines is both the cost of machines because Mm. a decent pinball machine will run you somewhere between three to ten grand depending on how new it is and how desirable it generally is yeah but obviously also it's a huge space commitment yes Um, i know numerous people who have pinball machines A, a good friend of mine who lives not far away has Four of them in his garage, and it's basically his entire garage. Yes, no room for an actual car. Now, to me, that's a very, very good investment of space. Yeah, but I have trouble justifying to my better half, yeah. Look, by the way, we're buying
1: twenty thousand dollars worth of pinball.
0: (laughs) That's right. Yeah, I think tough sell.
1: I I remember, um, Adam used to call it on on the podcast that he did in Melbourne the WAF, the wife wife acceptance factor.
2: My my better half is a gamer as well. She quite happily games and she would quite happily have a pinball machine but one of the tragic things about journalism is you get into it because you enjoy the writing. The hmm. single best piece of advice I got was in the first job interview I ever had. And it was get into journalism because you enjoy the writing because you're never going to get rich. <laughs> <That's right.
0: laughs> I remember I, I've only just sold a pinball machine and uh, it had been uh, not working for a while. And I, I had to buy, I bought a new motherboard that had four boards in it. So I bought one of these boards, cost 400 bucks. And then. And then it didn't have any sound, I thought, you know, I've just got to get rid of this thing. And the reason I had to buy a new board was the there was a board with some batteries on it, and the batteries had leaked, and it had corroded and destroyed the board. Yep. But, yeah, so, uh, yeah, it was an old – you would never have heard of it. It was a vector. Uh, and it, oh, yeah. was, it was from, I don't know when that was from, but 80s, 90s or something. Well, it wasn't a bad machine. It was multi-ball and, you know, spoke to you a little bit and all this sort of stuff. And, uh, yeah, but just finally got rid of it. It was just too much. And uh, my brother's got a couple of old mechanical ones, you know, just full-on, mm-hmm. just all, you know, levers going like this, <laughs> all on the guts of it. And uh, he also had the, the uh, Space Invaders wide, you know, the wide, bloody yeah. one yeah and that was that was a good one to play actually I, I i liked our pinballs they were good good stuff
1: my favorite was called fun house i think it was by williams and it had this little guy called chucky in there and you had to advance the clock to midnight by going through so certain ways yeah. yeah he'd fall asleep and open his mouth and you had to try and shoot a ball into his mouth and then you get multi-ball and he'd, he'd be harassing you and you know Tell, making up all this stuff and saying nasty things about you and abusing you and stuff—it was awesome. I loved it. They <laughs> even had it on the Xbox. Somebody had made it for there, and I bought that and played it for a while.
2: All oh, right. Yeah,
1: there's a. There, there's uh, if you can't afford a full pinball
2: uh, machine, there's a there's a an app, uh, the Pinball Arcade. It's called which mm. is a digital recreation of a whole bunch of classic tables. It's not a bad way to do it. It could be a slightly more stable app, but, uh, but it's, it's, a, you know, it's a reasonable way to sample an awful lot of tables and, and Funhouse is in there, along with a bunch of other Williams classics as well.
0: Yeah, I remember like my first... I wonder about one of the first introductions to pinballs was when i obviously when I was a kid I can't remember now if this if if the Atari pinball came first before I got into the real ones but I could spend hours just playing that Atari you know and it just had two right. little flippers just well, it was pretty basic but it was just yeah it was really really good I loved it I loved it but uh look let's uh talk about some news that's been happening this week hey eh? and uh, get stuck into that uh what have we got we've got uh the first one that I Brought out uh, this week is the government has always propo- proposing uh, to introduce legislation for a broadband tax. Now I don't know if you guys are as disgusted as I am with that, but that's terrible. Um, the story goes on the lines of the government is pushing to introduce a seven dollar ten minimum monthly broadband tax for fixed line NBN users to pay for the future costs of the fixed wireless and satellite portions of the NBN. Uh, the it plans to both introduce and pass a regional broadband scheme charge bill alongside a package of telecommunications changes in part in this this coming winter which wraps up on june 22 so this thing looks like it's heading to to the vote anyway or it's doing something by june 22 so what are you what Jace, what do you think of that? That's, uh, I think that's that's terrible. I don't think we need a tax on broadband. I thought the GST was supposed to replace all these sort of taxes. Now, it seems we're getting little bits and bobs added on everywhere.
1: Yeah, it's a bit rough. I mean, if they had a stuck with the original plan, they would have been making it into a profitable business by now, I think. But all the chopping and changing between the different parties that have come into power and going to mixed technologies, which is a bit of a disaster, and all this sort of thing, you know, it should be starting to pay for itself. But they're, now they're going to say, "Oh, you guys can totally pay for it because we're not going to use government money for it. We'll just use the taxpayers, and they can put the bill again."
0: Mm. Now, uh, Alex, are you as passionate about the NBN as Adam is?
1: <laughs> oh, yeah,
2: extremely so. And this is look, this is actually a, a, a fairly complicated problem because the issue really is the NBN has to be paid for somehow, and the modelling mm. was all built around the. Um, the reality that providing nbn to more remote or regional areas was a more expensive proposition than metropolitan areas and, and they did they did a number of things to kind of combat this There were uh, there's the there's the cherry picking legislation that basically made it harder for competitors to set up in major metro areas because clearly that's where they'd go that's where a lot of the population is mm. but then regional and remote areas get ignored and the whole idea was this was a national broadband network mm. Where we find ourselves today, yes, I agree, I think it's a mess and I think it's a regrettable mess, but it is where we are and you've still got to deal with this idea of, right, how do you actually pay for this infrastructure? You can talk about something, well, do we spend taxpayers' money or do we spend government money? Well, government money is taxpayers' money. It's still got to be paid for. I mean, it's it's the same fundage. Now, were it down to me, the whole business has been built, and this is um, outside of the politics of it because this was how it was originally proposed, that they would build the whole thing and then sell it to pay for it Mm. i think that i personally think that's a misstep i think this should just be seen as base level infrastructure in this day and age and i think the economic benefits of broadband and competitive broadband for australia outweigh those kinds of costs but i'm not in politics that's the way that that is running for the moment of course the government has put its 29 billion in there it's loaned further billions to the nbn to cover all of this all of that has to be covered because the nbn has been set up not as a government entity but as a business yeah and as a business it's got to follow those kinds of business rules it gets difficult and honestly if you could say to me look this will get delivered but there will be this seven dollar charge to the rsps and yes inevitably that will flow through to the users that's not necessarily a loss provision if everyone gets a decent broadband service
0: that's right and i think that's the that's the issue at the moment the mbn seems to be just all over the place doesn't it with reliability and so forth I, like when talking to adam the other week i couldn't believe it was so rubbish but uh, but then Jason, he hasn't he hasn't had too many problems with it and uh, but look, i don't know like to get a once the tax is on something like okay the broadband can be paid off in whatever 10 years time but i don't think they're going to drop the tax are they that that's more likely just to stay on um, like the, I think they still charge for Harbour Bridge crossing. That was supposed to end when the bridge was paid for, wasn't it? But that uh, kept going. And the M5. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they decided to build yeah. another road or something, yeah. but uh,
2: Yeah, and it depends on how they actually structure that one. Uh, the other thing to bear in mind, though, and, and I mean, I know, I, I know the source of these reports, uh, I know the guy who wrote, the, who wrote those reports, and I trust that his sources are accurate. That being said, the government has not absolutely committed to this will definitively happen. No. As with everything else government-related, not only do they actually have to write a bill which specifies, right, this is how the tax will work, this is how long we provision it going, and I agree, yeah, taxes don't tend to go away, especially uh, under the current political climate, taxes that are broad-based. That hit, uh, the vast majority of the population. The current administration favours that kind of idea over more narrow-band taxes. That's where they politically sit. But um, they've got to write all of that. They've then got to present it to the parliament. They've then got to get it through both houses of parliament before it gets into law. They, at the same time, they're going to be fighting for a range of budget measures introduced this week. Yes. It's feasible yeah. that this whole thing could fall apart.
0: Yeah. I, look, I'd, probably, I'd probably say that it's going to fall apart for now. Uh, uh, it might, it may happen in the future, hopefully not. But I don't know. Do you remember uh, years ago uh, when emails first started to take traction and Australia Post started to lose their revenue? I, I'm pretty sure this was a fair income story that there that, that was, it was uh, muted, mooted around the place that the government wanted to charge for, um, for, uh, extra for emails. And stuff like this. And then, and before charging for emails, I don't know how it was going to work, like per email or per, per 100 emails or whatever. And then before that, there was going to be a charge on a CD or DVD, blank DVDs, because everyone was copying movies and so forth. So they wanted a tax on that to pay for, to send to the movie companies. But, um.
2: Well, I don't know, I don't know that the CD DVD thing was ever particularly mooted here, although, oddly enough, it did get up in Canada.
0: Right. In Canada right. It
2: is. It's not quite an explicit right to pirate, but there was a levy put onto blank media to cover for the losses that were presumed for all the stuff that was being put onto that mm. blank
0: media. Yeah, right, okay. But so that's
2: been done.
0: It has been implemented. Yeah, okay. I didn't realize it would happen in Canada. That's uh... But anyway, I think well, thankfully the DVDs are just about gone out of the out of fashion these days, haven't they? I'm on to buying double-sided DVDs now, or dual layer, as it as it were, because the yeah, they're easier. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, Jace, what, what have you got for us this week? Please Well,
1: much to the disgust of will, who's often a co-host on here, Digital currency Bitcoin hit a record high overnight as demand for crypto assets soared with the creation of new tokens to raise funding for startups using blockchain technology. Bitcoin hit a record of US. on the Bitstamp platform and was last at $1,747.89, up 6% on the day. So far this year, Bitcoin has surged nearly 80%. Bitcoin's market capitalization overnight soared to $52.5 billion, according to data from coinmarketcap.com. Aside from being an asset that can be traded on exchanges like stocks and bonds, Bitcoin has become a mode of payment for some retailers and a way to transfer funds without the need of a third party. We have an influx of new capital in the space and that capital goes back and forth among crypto assets and Bitcoin, said Chris Berniske, a blockchain products leader at ARK Invest in New York, which manages exchange traded funds. Bitcoin is still the main liquidity provider in the market and people use it to buy other crypto assets. And Will was saying in Facebook that he had, what is it, 50? 50. 50. Bit, 50?
0: Yeah. Yeah, he was saying he had 50 coins on an old wallet that he'd lost on a hard drive. that, uh, yeah, Worth he got nearly destroyed. two
1: grand each. <laughs> yes. Ouch.
0: Yeah, so uh, that's no good. Uh, are you into the Bitcoins, Alex?
2: Uh, look, not personally, although I've written and kind of reported around it. Bitcoin, I've got to admit, kind of amuses me mm. because... Well, both the ease of kind of losing a hard drive and losing a fortune, <laughs> yes. but also it's, it's variable valuation just serves to remind me how functionally meaningless money is.
0: Mm. Yeah. Yes.
2: Because literally just ones and zeros that people are saying, right, well, these ones and zeros are worth money. Therefore, well, they're yes. worth money. Therefore, yes. they're, they're tradable and, and fungible and so on. And, and, and that, that, that amuses me. I think it's also, it's kind of interesting. Uh, one um, interesting tech thing that came out of this week's budget was Bitcoin related. Right, okay Because uh, the one measure that they're going to introduce uh, – and actually, I'd, I'd, I'd be very surprised if this one doesn't get up because I don't see anyone particularly opposing it. Currently, if you buy uh, Bitcoin in Australia and then you use it to buy something else, you get taxed twice because you get taxed twice on buying it because it was seen as a good. And yes. then you get GST on whatever it is that you're buying with your Bitcoin.
0: Oh, they not
2: they're going to remove that first layer of taxation on it so that you are not double taxed via Bitcoin. It, it gives it that little level further of legitimacy in that, in that space of viewing it as, you know, as any other currency. You could buy Bitcoin, you could buy US dollars, you could buy yen, you could buy whatever you like.
0: Yeah, that's a, well, I've tried to do the Bitcoin thing. I think I downloaded it and let it download for oh, a few hours. It's a big download, and, uh, but I couldn't even work it out, <laughs> I just left it. I didn't have time. Part of
1: the problem is that um, when it first came out, the Bitcoins weren't so common as they are now. They're a lot rarer. So mining, you could do, you know, overnight, leaving your computer on now to be able to generate, generate one Bitcoin, you need to have a farm of servers running with GPUs in a data center somewhere, and often the cost of running them, or if you have it at home, the cost of the electricity, and uh, uh, cooling and stuff ends up being more than the cost to generate uh, even bits of bitcoins these days. But another article that I came across related to this is um, when Brian Cohen first launched BitTorrent, he offered a solution to the bandwidth scarcity problem by allowing anyone to distribute large files without having to invest in expensive infrastructure. In recent years, he's closely followed the cryptocurrency boom not as a money-hungry investor with dollar signs in his eyes but as a programmer who sees problems that need solving most recently he presented a paper and a talk at stanford blockchain conference discussing discussing proofs of space and proofs of time without going into technical details he believes that bitcoin is wasteful he suggests that a cryptocurrency that pins the mining value on storage space rather than processor time will be superior My proposal isn't really to do something to Bitcoin, it really has to be a new currency, Cohen says. I'm going to make a cryptocurrency company, that's my plan. By focusing on a storage-based solution, BitTorrent's inventor also hopes to address other Bitcoin flaws such as the 51% attack. Mm -hmm. Another benefit of storage-based things is actually there's a lot less centralization in mining, so it's a lot less concern about having a 51% attack. Sometimes people have this misapprehension that Bitcoin is a democracy. No, Bitcoin is not a democracy. It's called a 51% attack for a reason. This is not a majority of the vote. That's not how Bitcoin works. So I'd be inclined to wait for somebody who's invented a proven technology like uh, BitTorrent to come out with his own cryptocurrency, and I might think of banking on that, see how that goes.
0: But do you think, uh, I'm not sure, I've never heard of a Bitcoin bank, but does one of those exist where you can borrow, invest and interest and all that? does that exist? No? There have
2: been a lot it's not it's not something I've uh, I've I've covered in deep detail but just kind of my own reading around it there have been bitcoin brokers and that right. kind of thing and some of them have come to a sticky end and of course when you come to a sticky end and you've got lots of people's money mm. they will get very very upset
0: it gets real sticky yes
2: there was <laughs> a
1: website called MTGOX which was originally Magic the Garrett Magic the Gathering online exchange service and the guy shut down his Magic the Gathering service and brought it up as Mount Gox they started calling it <laughs> just to reuse the name and he started um letting people trade bitcoin through him but then his ended up coming to a sticky end they lost you know thousands of people's bitcoins and hence millions of dollars and uh, I think a guy in Australia had one as well in Sydney and he uh, just disappeared into the night with all these Bitcoins from people's wallets that he'd been looking after for exchanging as well. So you, you've got to put trust in people who may not be quite as trustworthy as you expected.
0: Yes. Yeah. Now, someone that might be not really but in the market to buy in Bitcoin. Well, how about Apple? Apple uh, has become the first U.S. company to top 800 billion U.S. dollars in its market capitalization this week. And uh, it, it crossed over the seven hundred US billion mark uh, less than two years ago, so that is just going gangbusters. This this company shares have gained thirty three percent this year, almost about fifty percent since the US election. So uh, I don't know that's got to tell you something. I think the economy's not going to, or well, the share market is going gangbusters over there at the moment, from what I hear. Uh, the company represents about four percent of the twenty one point seven trillion US uh, that makes up the entire S and P five hundred index. So Apple's no uh, flash in the pan, is it? It's just growing, growing, growing. Uh, what do you, uh, Alex? Do you have any idea? What do you? What's your thoughts on? Is Apple gonna? What are they gonna do with all this money? Are they just gonna start buying things? I heard a rumor they might be gonna buy Disney or or Tesla or something like this. Uh, they, what they bought
1: a company had um, announced just recently.
0: Yeah, but they've got to sp- spend some big coin, haven't they? Like to to get rid of eight hundred, well, not get rid of eight hundred billion, but that's a lot of money. What are you going to do with that?
2: Okay, the important the important thing to separate there. Apple has a huge war chest. Don't get me mm. wrong. And I, I can't. off the top of my head, I can't remember what the number is, but it's a big one, and there's a lot of zeros behind it. But it's not that eight hundred billion. That eight hundred billion is the value of their shares. Right. That's yes. Value that. It's not as though Tim Cook can go. Oh yeah, look, I've got all these shares. I'll just go down the bank, and they'll give me eight hundred billion. Yeah. You it's can't true, do true. that. And Apple's share price um, does this interesting thing year in year out where leading up towards largely the iPhone release of that year, the share price will tend to creep up. It almost doesn't matter what they do in terms of the iPhone. It will typically then take a bit of a nosedive because mm. everyone's speculated on what high point it will hit. Yeah. And then they all try and trade out of it as quickly as possible. And that's the way the share market works. I mean, yeah. you try and make money out of your shares. The What Apple spends its huge war chest on is a completely kind of different matter. And so far, yeah, they seem to be doing this, and they've done this for a long time, largely smaller strategic buys rather than big scale ones. I mean, the last huge buy that they did was Beats. Yeah. And I'm not sure that they've, I think, you know, they got Dr. Dre out of that. They probably got Apple Music kickstarted a bit faster because of that. I'm not sure the actual headphone business has been so massively profitable for them that it's justified the price that they paid, especially when you consider even within their own Apple stores, yes, of course, the Beats headphones are front and center, but you can buy other products.
0: I think their the actual cash in the bank it was like or well, last year it was about a hundred billion. It was just a massive amount. So it's um
2: it's also but that's also even more complicated because it's not as though they can go, right, it's in Bank of America or it's in the Commonwealth Bank. Right. It is all over the planet. And it's deliberately all over the planet because they take as much advantage, and all big businesses do this, Mm. but they take as much advantage of tax structures as they can. So there's this huge prevailing theory, in fact, that an awful lot of US tech companies are waiting to see if President Trump will actually announce an effective tax amnesty to try and get a lot of this currency back on US shores. Because if they do that, then they don't have to pay the tax on it. Whereas if they do, then suddenly they're looking at millions and millions mm. if not billions of dollars of taxes that need to be paid it wasn't that long ago that the eu judged that they owed the irish government taxes the irish government turned around and said well <laughs> actually we kind of don't want to collect these taxes from apple not because we don't want the money but because we don't want them moving out of ireland
0: yeah that's right well who who would want a big company like that to move i think yeah i think it was the uh, what trump's going down repatriation tax or something he's, he's talking about 10 percent mm. or something um which, yeah, we'll just see, so you have to see what happens, I guess, because uh, he's looking at getting the company tax down to 15. So is repatriation going to, that 10%, is that going to be a big enough, uh, incentive? Like, it may well be, but,
2: uh, it's in the meantime of course this means that it's not so easy for i mean apple could buy all sorts of companies absolutely they technically have the money organizing all those ones and zeros in a row in the right places and getting the regulatory authority to do it because that's the other hurdle they'd have to jump is you know it's it's not that
1: simple
0: Mm. yeah you gotta say something jace
1: the latest company they acquired is called Beddit. That has a uh, mattress topper that's connected up to your iPhone and records your sleep patterns. Oh,
0: there you go. <laughs> now, um, look, well, uh, you got a story there, Jason, about Facebook. So we'll stick with the the big the big companies and the US ones. What's going on with the Facebook and
1: Snap? Ah, Snap. Yeah, they were a bit unhappy Uh, for a guy who's just lost about a quarter of his net worth. Snap co-founder, Evan Spiegel, exuded confidence on his first earnings conference call, explaining away the company's shortcomings and even throwing shade at his bigger and far more successful social media rival, Facebook. Facebook has been copying some of Snapchat's most popular features, including its Stories tool, which lets people post short videos about what's happening in their day. When confronted about the challenge on the call, Spiegel laughed. If you want to be a creative company, you've got to be comfortable with and enjoy the fact that people copy your products if you make great stuff, he said. Just because Yahoo has a search box doesn't mean they're Google, he added, referring to the early competition between the two internet search companies in the late 1990s and early 2000s. Google won. and Apparently, um, yeah, they, they just dropped about $1 billion worth of wealth that he and the company were worth. Uh, quite
0: quickly. Yeah, okay. Wow. So do you use Snapchat? Are you a Snapchat user? Not Jones? me. No? Alex, Snapchat user?
2: I'm I'm largely the wrong demographic,
1: unfortunately.
0: Yeah. I only use it for the filters and send it around to the kids. <laughs> Funny
1: face. I was going to say, he's not a 13-year-old girl. <laughs> yes. Not the last time I checked, no.
0: <laughs> now, uh, how about this guy, uh, Carter Wilkerson? Now, you've probably never heard of him, but anyway... Hmm. He's, uh, he's broken a Twitter record. He's try- he tried to get the most retweets that has ever been, and it looks like he has succeeded. So the previous record was at oh, nearly three and a half million retweets by Ellen DeGeneres when I think she took a, a, a selfie at the Oscars or something. So that went around about three and a half million times. Now, on April 5 this year, uh, this 16-year-old Carter from Reno uh, in Nevada, in the U.S., tweeted how many retweets he would need to get a year's free supply of chicken nuggets. Now, within now, Wendy's was this was the chain that he tweeted. Now, within a minute, apparently that the chain had tweeted back. It's going to 18 million. It was going to take 18 million retweets. So uh, that's uh, more than what nearly will say about six times the record. Anyway, so Wilkinson replied, "Consider it done." So he had a mission. He was on his mission, so then he's he's tweeted out again. Help me, please. A man needs his nugs, and so you know it all went <laughs> it all went on and on and on and on, and uh, all of a sudden, yeah, he got there. He got that United Airlines got onto it, and they thought, oh, here's a bit of here's a chance for some positive PR rather than you know <laughs> rather than some uh, ugly airplane agro PR. So the tweet went. His tweet went viral. The uh, it was shared by global companies including Apple Music, Microsoft, Amazon, Google, and and even Twitter itself. Uh, celebrities including Breaking Bad, Aaron Pauls also was re, was seen retweeting. Uh, now other companies replied to to this guy with their own offers, including the United Airlines, which said it would fly him to a Wendy's restaurant in any one of its cities that it serves if he got to the target. So it looked like he got to the target. And now we're just waiting on uh, where he wants to go, <laughs> where he wants to be flown to. Get a
1: fly for some nugs.
0: That's right, fly for some nuggets. But, uh, like, that's, a, you know, a, probably an inventive way of getting a year's supply of nuggets, isn't it? <laughs> so, yeah, so, yeah. I, I kind of wish
2: that he'd gone for a food stuff that was a little bit more valuable than inventive. <laughs> but I've got to say, after your six months of nuggets, yeah, after your billionth nugget, you're not going to want another nugget. And frankly, all these companies jumping in on the free uh, social goodwill, you know, United, who, you know, don't want to remind people that they beat people into the same kind of pulp that you get at a chicken nugget. That's right. Are going to feel terrible when after eight months, this guy dies of a massive heart attack from all the fat from the chicken nugget.
1: That's right. Hopefully he doesn't get salmonella or something.
2: <laughs> this is true too.
1: Yeah. Allegedly. Allegedly.
2: I don't want to get sued in the US, but... Um, no. Yeah, it's one of those. I mean, it's one of those great little viral stunts, and the publicity is probably worth it for Wendy's themselves because what they'll do is, you know, if they if they end up honouring this, Mm. the cost of the the majority of the nuggets that this guy's going to eat is only going to range into, and I'm guess I'm totally estimating, totally falling here, but I'm going to say it's not going to range more than about twenty, thirty thousand dollars, and that's. Taking, you know That's taking every factor into account, well, not just you, the cost of production, but the yeah. cost of people to cook, cook them in restaurants and all the rest of it. That's a really cheap TV ad. That's oh, that's an right.
0: Yeah, that's so right. So it's
2: very cheap advertising. They will probably throw, if they do this, they'll throw this guy and his tweet onto billboards, onto banners on the web. So they TV. Exactly. Mm. They will not let people forget about it. They will make a mozzarella money out of this poor guy killing his arteries with chicken nuggets. <laughs>
1: yes. How long before he's on Jimmy Kimmel?
0: Well...
2: Figuratively
1: yeah. or literally,
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah. So, good on him. I wonder how many uh, tweets for uh, Nuggets has be, has come quickly following uh, this request and the popularity of it. There's probably heaps of them out there. People probably trying so everything. What
1: are you going to try for in your campaign, Glenn?
0: Um. What about I don't know. A new car. <laughs> how many? <laughs> how many retweets to get a new car? Yeah, that'll do.
1: Twenty billion.
0: Uh, uh, now. Uh, <laughs> Let's go move on to Microsoft. they got some news this week. They've, they've sent out an emergency fix for Windows. So this is outside of their normal, as they call, patch Wednesday in Australia time frame. Now, the unusual bug in Microsoft anti-malware software like Windows Defender, so the bug is in this Windows Defender, uh, could be exploited without the recipient even opening the message. Now hackers can exploit the flaw simply by sending an infected email, instant message, or getting the user to click on the web browser link. Now I read further into this article, and it was even that the the virus or the malware can activate even when Defender or if Defender scanned the file. So it, it was pretty nasty. Uh, it affected eight eight point one and Windows ten Windows Server. If you're using Windows Defender and no other antivirus, you better update. Uh, there's a just update. You can check. There's a sounds
1: like a great ad for AVG.
0: Yes, uh, Windows users can check that. Make sure you're running the latest Windows Defender engine, which is one point one point one three seven zero four point zero. That's all in the show notes. If you want to hear that one again, uh, which should yeah should download automatically. But to make sure you're not at risk, just check it and just make sure all your other uh, updates are, yeah up to date. But that's a that's a bit of a nasty one. One of the nasty ones, Alex.
2: Yeah, and look, they've had they've, they've, that, that whole set of patches they put out hit a bunch of different vulnerabilities for them, and they're in. I mean, they're in a tough position because they are. It's still the world's most used operating system family, if you will, uh, and therefore it's the most attacked.
0: Yes. Yeah. And
2: that's... programmers are only human, and programming code now runs into the billions of lines, and people are probing every last little bit of it. Yeah. Yeah, at constantly being fairly proactive with this. I mean, it, it ties into one of the more interesting steps that they took with the recent Windows 10 Creators update. And I don't know if either of you two are running Windows 10 or not. Yeah, or I'm, you've
0: had that. I'm not doing the up Creators update yet.
2: Not yet. Yeah, well, they actually, uh, generally speaking, the way that they run those Windows 10 updates is they will push them out to you. And they, their whole strategy for Windows 10 was going to be, look, these things are just going to be pushed. You're going to have them. You're going to like it. Yeah, and it'll be
1: great. You're going to love it. it. It'll It'll be be great. (laughs)
2: Um, But for the Creators Update, they've actually come out and said publicly, look, if you're running like a Surface, for example, because that's our hardware, we understand it, we get it, that's fine. Creators Update is for you. For everyone else, they're taking it on a much more slow and steady basis because they've identified, hey, there are so many hardware and software configurations that can make up a Windows computer, that creators' update is creating problems in some of those. Now, that's not quite as bad as a malware attack that takes over your computer and and (laughs) empties your bank account, but it's still a frustration for people. And it's a big sign, I think, for Microsoft that they they really are taking this stuff quite seriously. Uh, That being said, I mean, if if all you're relying on is Windows Defender for your malware protection, according to most reports, yeah, you're not really doing enough.
0: Yeah, well, I think we remember... Yeah, back sorry, Jace, but back in Windows Seven when they had their 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 Windows Defender, whatever they called it, their security essentials. You know, I thought, and everyone thought, well, okay, it comes from Microsoft. Well, wouldn't it be the best? And then one day they Microsoft, this is when with Windows Seven, and then Microsoft put out on their blog something to the tune of, uh, oh, our security essentials, you better not rely on it. <laughs> you know, it's not as good as the others. And so, you know, obviously straight away, well, I uninstalled it straight away and put something else on it. Well,
1: but- Microsoft bought a, a, a company's antivirus from giant technologies and then turned it into Windows Defender, so they didn't actually start with it, but this company had been working with them for ages. But I've always said, from what um, Alex was saying, people have been saying, why don't they just release um, the Apple OS X operating system so anyone can install it on anything, and exactly because of what Alex has just said, there'd there'd be so many different configurations you have to take into account. And Microsoft has most of the time said, most of the blue screens that people get is from really badly written third-party drivers for Hmm. sound cards, graphics cards, mice. There's, There's so many combinations that they would have to take into account. And Apple just wants a stable, platform that people can rely on if they bring out a new driver or a new update, it's going to work because they know the motherboard, they know all the chips on there, they know what plugs into it, they know the screens and everything, and they can write drivers for all of that. But if you're trying to cover every little driver for every bit of technology that comes out of every country, then it's just a mess, which is why Microsoft I think is saying what Alex had said, you know, don't don't rush into this one. Take it easy. And they Microsoft when you install Windows 10, Snake takes a checksum snapshot of your hardware so it knows what's in there and they can say, okay, it's definitely working on this NVIDIA graphics card, this sound card, this motherboard, mm. let that person install the creative update. This one over here, we won't let Glenn get it because we know his sound card's a bit dodgy with drivers and it's going to crash. Or his sound is going to stop, and then people are going to go, "Oh, bloody Microsoft!" You know, can't trust them. Their operating systems, and it's not really their fault most of the time.
0: But yeah, because I think that's what this uh, new laptop or thing that Microsoft just brought out was that a a Surface?
1: Was that
2: the
0: Surface they just brought out?
2: That's the that's the The, Surface laptop. Yes. at the end of the month, and yeah. that's got its own specific version of Windows 10 with it, Windows 10 S, yes, which is its more controlled environment for it.
0: Well, yeah, it's just going to, it won't let you install anything outside of the Windows Store, and I think that's where. And then, and so obviously, that machine is going to be rather stable, you know, just like a, a Mac or something like everything that you, you can't install just every, anything from anywhere. Uh, but I also noticed that you can with the your Windows 10. What do you call it? Home or whatever it is—the normal one that we get—the home version. Uh, You can also there's there's a setting in there too, which will allow you to stop uh, installate uh, to not allow installs outside of the Windows Store. So you can lock up the current Windows 10 if you wanted to.
1: Yeah, and that's what Macs are like as well. They come with the Guardian application that, when you when you download something, you, if you just double click on it, it'll say this has been downloaded from an unknown source. I'm not going to just install this. You have to right click, go open. Yes, I'm sure I want to open this, and then it'll install it. But then it's on you. It's not just something you've downloaded. So mm. they, they, Microsoft's adopted something that Apple's been using. It's probably proven good for both of them. But yeah. Well, the-
2: well, I could I could
1: make the argument that you know.
2: The, the the old uh, user alerts that uh, people hated, in fact, in Devon and Vista and so on. Yeah. So you, you know you really want to do that. It's it's the same psychological kind of idea. Unless this becomes, you know, too much of a of a buy Apple show. Uh, they've got their own issues with, with <laughs> software and hardware updates. They've got a much smaller ecosystem. But getting Apple to even admit that there's something wrong with a particular run of MacBooks or that kind of thing, it, it, you know, it's a hair-tearing exercise, and I don't have any hair left. <laughs>
1: you're, you're probably holding your your MacBook Pro wrong. <laughs> yeah. Ah, that would be it. That would be it.
0: Now, Chase, what what's this uh, new IO, IoT bot that's... Uh... Not doing good Well, things. there's a
1: new botnet dab dubbed Purserai, which has been detected linking more than 120,000 internet protocol IP cameras into a vast Internet of Things botnet. The discovery comes fresh on the heels of Mirai, which in 2016 similarly enlisted IoT devices, particularly DVRs and CCT cameras, into a vast botnet to launch DDoS attacks. Trend Micro's researchers detected more than 120,000 IP cameras susceptible susceptible to ELF per via Shodan owners of the devices are unlikely are likely unaware that their device has been enlisted granting easier access to the miscreants behind the malware to the ip cameras web interface via tcp port 81. ip cameras typically use universal plug and play which are network protocols that allow devices to open a port on the router and act like a server making them highly visible targets for iot malware the researchers said once logged into the exposed interface, the attacker can load a command injection to force the IP camera to connect to a download site, whereupon shell scripts can be downloaded and executed. Commands can then be sent from the remote server and cause the affected device to reach out to attack other IP cameras by a recently revealed zero-day vulnerability. This will enable attackers to siphon out user passwords, equipping them with all they need to command, do command injections regardless of password strength Trend micro microteam said.
0: Yeah, I think these little—is this the same sort of thing that was out oh, six months ago? You know, taking out, getting into cameras and printers and all this sort of stuff. I think, yep. yeah, I think what was the the answer was I think once you, you could just turn it off and on, and that would at least bring it back to
1: for those ones standard. Yeah. But yeah. I like um, Steve Steve Gibson's quote: "The S in IoT stands for security." Right. <laughs> Good work, Steve. Is he he's still there doing? There isn't any security in IoT at this stage. <laughs> that's right.
0: Yeah, well, he still uses XP, doesn't he? Because he, he doesn't want to move on to browsers with Java so, or but, something. <laughs> yeah, a lot of these
1: IoT cameras have got hard coded passwords like pass123x, and every device has got that password and you can't change it. Yeah. So that's why these black bits can easily get in and take over the devices because there's no security on any of them.
0: Yeah. Now, uh, here's one for you. Uh, Oh, uh, did you have any comments on that, yeah, on that, Alex? Yeah, sorry, did you well, have
2: any? I was, I was, I was going to say, it's, it's a difficult issue, and it is actually something that is somewhat being addressed. I was um, over at Mobile World Congress in Barcelona earlier in the year, uh, and there they were doing a lot of discussion around IoT and 5G because an awful lot of these devices, the idea is that they will be mobile enabled, they'll be part of that entire 5G net- network setup. And security is, it's a painful topic for a lot of these vendors because they recognise, yeah, look, we haven't done enough up until now mm. it is hard work and it's difficult when you're talking these small scale devices which in themselves are going to be quite powerful computers and they are and it's yeah. not just the question of you know do you hack into my do you hack into my webcam and then charge people money not to send them my nude selfies <laughs> it's also the question of do you then use the processing power behind my webcam for other purposes whether you're mining bitcoin whether you're just setting up DDoS attacks there's, there's all sorts of scope For malicious intent here, Mm. and there, there there is work being done on this, but it is—it's yeah—it's something where you've got to you've got to tread softly and smartly, and the one the one factor that always. Um, sticks in my head with this is if you if you ever see a picture of Mark Zuckerberg anywhere near a laptop that he's working on you'll notice that the webcam
1: has a little bit of tape over it <laughs> yes, that right. says a lot of Yeah. I mean don't forget a lot of people are installing these in their lounge room in the corner of the room to keep an eye on it and they're like oh yeah I'll just check on my computer but other people can hack into and see inside that lounge room too so just be careful what you do in there especially if you're in an undressed situation
0: but I think like these days it's getting easier and easier for oh, the, the normal Joe to be able to hack isn't it like with this um uh, Kali Linux and everything you just install it and all these scripts are at your fingertips and you just go for gold and yeah, you, if you and want to
1: set up your own peep show website and make a bit of money <laughs> there's a lot of cameras out there that are freely hackable and uh, you bit don't of- have to pay anyone to do it you could just
0: you know stream it straight to your users and charge them you could set up the uh, a a network of uh, other people's cameras like a chat roulette which one will you get (laughs) um now here's one that you'll like i think alex donkey kong and pokemon join the gaming hall of fame now there's a i didn't know there was a gaming hall of fame but there is it was established only two years ago uh it covers games played in arcade on a console Uh, handheld devices or mobile phones and the permanent exhibition is at the strong museum of play in rochester new york have you have you been there
2: i have not i have not uh the big thing that strikes me about this is almost anyone can set up a hall of fame and call it as they will Uh, in you know in classic arcade gaming terms a lot of people point to twin galaxies for example Uh, but if you've seen king of kong you're kind of aware of some of the issues around that (laughs) yeah um Earlier in the year when I was at CES uh, in Las Vegas, there's a pinball uh, museum. Yeah. Uh, and, in fact, if, uh, I did a very good interview with the guy who runs the pinball museum for an earlier episode of Vertical Hold that I would recommend people go and listen to, oh, yeah. like, over. But, uh, but that being said, you could set up a Hall of Fame and uh, on whose authority are you setting it up? The choices that they've made, however, are not bad ones. Uh, we, well, they're not bad ones for the current run just Were it up to me, to be brutally honest, I'd apply the kind of rules that you get for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So to to be eligible for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, you have to have put out your first album at least 25 years ago. And I think that's a really good benchmark for a game that has stood the test of time. The issue being that for this Hall of Fame, a bunch of the things that they've put in there would not yet qualify. They've got World of Warcraft in there, and nothing against World of Warcraft, fine game, but it's too new.
0: Yes, yeah, right. So you don't think like these things... Obviously, they're just a bunch of game lovers. So they, they probably just had to, they, they felt like they wanted to do something for the gaming history. And so they've decided to do it. Uh, I suppose it's got to start somewhere. Would you, would, so you would start it off. Do you think you would start with stringent the rules like that? Would that, would that make it more authentic, more, um, realistic for you?
2: I think I think it gives it a, it gives it a level of authenticity because it says right here is a rule that you have to cover if you've stood the test of time over 25 years for a reason whatever that reason might be and it doesn't just have to be that you were immensely popular or that you stayed immensely popular and I mean I don't mean to be picking on World of Warcraft but I'd say you could certainly make the case of its popularity and its enduring popularity is part of the reason why it's in there you certainly shouldn't put it in there as you know the the Original example of MMOs because something like EverQuest obviously like, should, should take precedence over it, it. If you were taking that particular,
1: or Online, exactly,
2: exactly. absolutely. Um, so, um, yeah. But if you if you have guidelines that say right, these are the th- these these are the qualifying criteria you've got to meet. Mm. And I think even if you do something along the lines that a lot of halls of fame do, where you say right, here are the potential candidates. Here's a pool of of you know 15 games that are. I think that 25-year rule is pretty decent because it means you stretch back a bit, but it also means year in, year out, you get new titles that are suddenly eligible.
0: Yeah, true, true.
2: titles can stay eligible, they can be re-voted in, and I think you also then create interest around it rather than just saying, we have decided that these titles deserve commendation. I'm certainly not saying Donkey Kong doesn't deserve commendation, it's a great and classic game, and I think it's one that still stands up beautifully even now, Mm. but... I think if you if you qualify it a bit more, and if you get more people involved in it, you give it that bit more authenticity. There will always be people who'll be upset about one nomination or another. I'm certainly going to be one of them. But, uh, but I think that's that's the way to go.
0: So these games for this particular uh, uh, Hall of Fame are chosen on their popularity, longevity, and influence on gaming and popular culture and society. But as you say, like th- that's all open ended and mushy. Like who's who, who's measuring these things? You know, so there's no real measurement. They'd probably just put him in a hat. But anyway, joining the uh, Donkey Kong and Pokemon uh, so far in the Hall of Fame. Sonic, the Hedgehog, The Sims, Doom, Pong, and uh, World of Warcraft, Tomb Raider, Resident Evil, and Solitaire. Microsoft Solitaire were nominated but failed to make the finals list. Now, Solitaire is a good old classic game. I was reading an article the other day or the other week. The creator of Solitaire. Yeah, it didn't make a zack out of it.
1: Yes, yes. Yeah, poor guy. He was an intern or something, wasn't
0: he? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and he made it in his spare time. And every time his boss come over, I think he, he covered up his screen or something because he wasn't supposed to be doing it. Uh, but anyway, getting back to the game thing, the uh, yeah Donkey Kong arcade game. Yeah, there's 132,000 Donkey Kong arcade game cabinets uh, that were released around the world in 1981. Uh, the first entrance into the Hall of Fame were Doom, Pong, Pac-Man, Super Mario Brothers. Tetris and World of Warcraft in 2016, another six-game, Space Invaders. I'm surprised that probably didn't end up in the first year. I thought that would have been the the, the classic, you know, to get in there. Uh, Sonic the Hedgehog, Legend of Zelda, the uh, Oregon Trail, Grand Theft Auto 3. Well, there you go. Grand Theft Auto 3, that's probably too new for me. Yeah, I'd probably be sitting with you on that one. That's, yeah, wait 25 years.
2: I can, make, I, can make the ca- I can certainly make the case, because that's my head wants to say 13, 14 years ago, I suppose. I can certainly make the case in nine years to it. Uh, mm. It revitalized that particular genre. It certainly took, because I'd followed the GTA games at that time through GTA 1, GTA 2, and GTA London. Uh, it certainly took that into a new dimension and really made that whole crime sandbox sim genre game a really huge thing as well as, of course, a massively controversial thing, and that series has remained controversial throughout its existence. Uh, It's also the the inclusion of the Oregon Trail marks that as a terribly kind of US-centric thing. And not that the Oregon Trail didn't have its position, but it didn't really have as much of a position outside of the US. But then that's another market where they kind of view, for example, the NES as being the only 8-bit console. It's like, no, actually outside of the US, and Japan, to be fair, uh, there were lots of other competitors, some of which did better than Nintendo's little grey box.
0: Yeah, well, I, haven't, I haven't even heard of the Oregon Trail. <laughs>
1: I have you'll learn, Google. You learn a lot about dysentery from that one, <laughs> oh, right?
0: Yeah. But I saw. will uh,
1: give you the sweats. Yeah, uh, through the week it was.
0: Uh, was it twenty-five year anniversary of the Wolfenstein three D, and um, yeah, that was just great. made me sit back and just go, "Wow, really, twenty-five yeah, did you years?"
1: Yeah, I read the article. Of- about, it was uh, John Romero, wasn't it, who came up with um, a, a way to make the old computers in EGA have uh, graphics that scrolled smoothly. Nobody else had managed to do it on the PC because they were too slow, but he found a trick with the uh, graphics cards on how to make them scroll smoothly. And he, um, to test out a smoothly scrolling platform game, he started practice, uh, playing around with the graphics from uh, Mario super mario and um after a while he thought yeah this is this is actually working so they completed writing the whole of mario for um for the pc and then went to nintendo and said how would you like it you could license it through to the pc and they're like nope so he's like oh okay we'll just do commander keenan this really popular game that everybody just loved
0: yeah because yeah, I, I know i remember i think i posted on the facebook because i remember the the Wolfenstein 2D, you know, on the Apple computer. Hmm. And, uh Achim. yeah, Who's, did you say you've got it? Did someone say that? Oh, yes. <laughs> I thought so. Because I, 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 I'd like to play that again. <laughs> I was saying on the on the Facebook, I said, oh, I wish I had an emulator, you know, that could, I could load up and, and play that old Wolfenstein. That was, wasn't One bad. day it's going to
1: have to turn up in the Internet Archive strictly yes. speaking not legal not legal in australia but it certainly happens yeah that's right uh,
0: retro pie. hey what's that
1: i think after all of this uh, discussion we're definitely going to have to have alex as a uh, guest on the old fart geek so we can talk about retro technology all night long
0: yeah that sounds good i think so i think so um yeah well how far do you go back alex what was your what's the first game then that you can remember playing at, as a kid or whatever
2: the first, oh man, this is going back a long, long way. Uh, it would be Space Invaders I suspect.
0: Yeah. Did you have a, a console at home? Or what was the first console you would have had at home?
2: So, no I didn't. Uh, I mean, I can tell you the first console that I had at home because it was uh, the early 90s and I bought uh, one of the Master System 2 consoles that had uh, my namesake in Miracle World uh, built into it. So it's oh. the second generation of that console. But I certainly knew people who had the, the Atari 2600 and yeah, I have a couple of those downstairs. I had one of the, the,
1: the um, HannaMacks ones that you could play um, tennis and handball, and had a gun that yes. you could shoot at the dot mm. moving around the screen and stuff. That was a lot of fun. I
0: think the very first one I can remember. I think what the model was called a Tempest, and it was, and all it had was just uh, it was like tennis, you know, with the two lines up like this, yep. and and you had the little paddle that you swung around and just like that. That was about probably the first one I can remember. The commercial one. Yeah, I'd be struggling, but I'm going back to Frogger, Uh, but obviously Spacey's was around, but I do remember Frogger, but that's, yeah, it's a long time ago, isn't it? Uh, The first pirated copy of the Ultra HD Blu-ray disc has surfaced on the Torrent website. Everyone's uh, jumping up and down. Because some they reckon gonna some
1: have a heart attack and die of not, not surprise. surprise.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the latest example of pirate pirates getting the upper hand in, in the war on piracy is the fact that they've been able to circumvent the AACS 2.0 encryption that encrypts the Ultra HD Blu-ray discs. Apparently for the first time. You have a you have a sniff around all the torrent sites and there's people yaying and yowing all over the place. That's crazy. Um, if the, but apparently it hasn't been actually proven. Uh, they, I think it was one of the torrent sites, BitTorrent, uh, said they're, they're yet to confirm that this has actually been cracked. Uh, the, they decided that the, the, they're going to test their skills, and the HD, Ultra HD Blu-ray they're going to test their skills on, or they did test their skills on, was Smurfs 2. So it's absolutely exciting movie. Uh, to be testing cracking skills on, so yeah, so the war on piracy, like I've said before, uh, and I and I'd, I'd still stand by it. I don't think you're never going to beat the pirates. They're always going to be there. And like I remember, even before the internet, and I'm I'm sure you guys would probably be the same. But we used to just get hard drives and share them around, and even before hard drives, we just DVDs with with a whole collection of software and stuff on them, and just share them around. And I don't think you're ever gonna you're ever gonna beat it. Do you think it can be won, Alex, or it's just something that? It's can... no,
2: no. Look, I mean, logistically speaking, it's not a war that can be won. It's a war that can be minimized. Yeah. This is an interesting story from a technology viewpoint, because the encryption on, uh, uh, on these disks was particularly tough. And if it has indeed been broken, then that's a certain kind of landmark. Um, there's part of my brain that says, "God, why wouldn't you try and crack a better movie?" Exactly. Of my brain that, if <laughs> you're going to destroy a whole bunch of Ultra HD discs, they may as well be first.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, but yeah, well, you're right because they said they they were saying that it is believed that the the uh this encryption was unbreakable, so that's why no one's uh you know really confirmed that this has happened. I'm just trying well, to. Re- I think
1: you need you need to be a bit cleverer than waiting till you get a disc and then trying to break the encryption. If you like the Dark Overlord, you. Could just hack into a system and download the the movies before they're even put onto disc. Well, so yeah, that's going up the chain, right? The dark overlord.
0: Now, what? Wh- why do I know that name? Where did he come from? I've heard. We it.
1: talked about him last yes. week. he got in the hack. He got the. Um, Netflix movie uh, TV right. series yeah. Orange is the New Black and Brock yeah. Meyer, Always in Sunny in Philadelphia, and a few other shows from different networks by going to a third party company who'd been sent the movies and TV shows to do ADR, and afterwards hacked into their system and got the movies from there. So yeah you know don't, don't, don't wait until it's encrypted and compressed down onto a disk get the raw format straight from the source that's a much better way right. mandatory for everyone yeah
0: and uh before we before we wrap up for this week uh, jc's got one more just run through the adobe Crying yeah game. i'd like
1: to hear alex's <laughs> take on this one <laughs> adobe and their pricing is like the craziest thing adobe is blamed fluctuating currency exchange rates for its decision to hike australian prices by as much as 73 percent the price for its all apps creative cloud plan will increase to 65.99 per month excluding gst or 72.59 per month including gst on 5 June 2017, up 14% from 57.99. The biggest hike is for the month-to-month student plan, up 73% to 25.99 per month ex GST. Adobe began adding GST on 1st of December 2016, seven months ahead of a new legal requirement that overseas businesses collect GST on goods and services if their Australian businesses had an annual turnover of 75000 or more. The Australian dollar is currently buying at 0.74 US, roughly the same forex rate as 12 months ago and down from around 0.802 years ago and 0.943 years ago. As part of doing business globally, Adobe monitors currency exchange rates in order to make adjustments to our pricing up or down as needed. I think mostly up from my (laughs) experience, (laughs) the company wrote in an email to subscribers. You may be aware that the currency exchange rates have fluctuated significantly over the last few years. As a result of recent changes in exchange rates in your region, the price of Adobe products and services is increasing starting on 5 June 2017.
0: Yeah, so I think it wasn't too long ago uh, you could, what was it, the story, you could fly to New York, buy Adobe Photo Suite or whatever the hell it is, Creative Suite, and fly back and buy it and fly back and it cost you less than it would, uh, that you could buy it in Australia. But what's uh, what's your take, Alex, on Adobe putting their prices up, fair or unfair, too much?
2: Uh, look, it's not, it, this is not a news story in a way. Adobe has a fairly long history of charging Australians quite a bit more for their software packages. Having said that, they are in the position of being the standard amongst the creative professional community. Mm. And I think that's, that's, I'm not saying it's fair, I'm not saying it's 100% justified, but that's the lens to which you've got to view this whole thing. That they're, they're Essentially, they're chasing much more professionals or the professionals of tomorrow, which is why their student packaging is cheaper, even though it is, of course, going up. In, in percentage terms, that's quite high. In terms of the amount of dollars it's going up, it's still, it's 25 bucks. It's not a huge sum of money for a professional software suite package. And back when you could make that comparison of it being cheaper to fly to the States, that was when you flew there and you bought a box which was full of CDs that you installed. These yep. days, it's a cloud-delivered service that you subscribe to in the same way that you subscribe to something like Office 365. Mm. And they, they've shifted that business model. They're not the only ones that do it, but they're the ones that, that do jump out as having the larger price hikes. And Jason's right; they generally have tended to be up. But it's in some ways it's just capitalism in action, in that they are charging what the market will bear yeah. because the market views it as a professional business expense. Yeah, the people it, are using it are designing, you know, twenty thousand dollar logos, and they just go, okay, well, yeah, it's not great that it's costing me ten bucks a month more, but honestly, against my business. Model, doesn't matter yeah
0: i don't think you can can you buy adobe on disc anymore or is it all in all the creative cloud now does anyone know
1: all oh, the cloud, as far as I'm aware. Yeah, I thought. I think they. As far as I'm aware, that's how it works.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think they ditched the discs <laughs> as well. It's
1: also really good for protecting against piracy and stuff. You know, from way back, people would get these discs off pirate websites and then have a key generator that could generate a key, find ways of blocking the the server that checks the validity of the keys and have a free copy of the software. But if you have to log into your Adobe account. To be able to use the software, they've circumvented all of that, and, and um, they can justify, you know, good quality products at higher prices because they, they don't have to worry so much about the privacy, I guess. Yeah,
0: Piracy. yeah. So, uh, but that's that's right. It's uh, if it, if the market will bear it, well, so what? So that's what they do, isn't it? And uh, yeah, what what do we do? We got to go and download GIMP or something if we, if we don't want to pay seventy five dollars a 8.
2: month. Hey, well, they're the creator update of uh, of uh, Microsoft Paint now does 3D. It's it's come a long way, but uh, <clears throat> but there are other alternatives out there in the market. If you you know if you don't want to go down the full Photoshop route, and actually thinking about it, there might might still be for the uh, for the Elements versions of those programs. There may well still be a physical disc version yeah. of that. That's the cut down version. And it, 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 ultimately, I guess it does come down. To, to your, your needs, needs and your usage if you need, need that full professional plate, suite or you're train training with that full professional plate, suite because you're going to take up some kind of design or illustration or video editing or you know creative professional job then adobe is the deluxe you know gold standard of this kind of stuff if yeah. you're throw, if you're throwing together a few images for a website there are there are a bunch of programs out there that you can use you know from gimp upwards and yeah it gives a bit of a pain to use but it does it does function for those kinds of tasks
0: yeah i've got Photoshop three i think it still does what i need to do just resize gifts and stuff and yeah that's sweet enough
1: on the pc i i use paint.net it's a really good one that's free you can you can pay for it if you want to donate money that's really good but um it does the trick as well
0: now before we go alex what uh platform are you running there apple mac what are you doing
2: so i day to day i run on a mac um I've, in fact, just bounced up to the, uh, from, from a work perspective, yeah. uh, just bounced up to the newer MacBook Pro. Uh, I, I, I bounced over to the Mac a number of years ago uh, after doing a laptop roundup where I just worked out. Actually, I can kind of sit and type because <laughs> most of what I do is write. Yeah. And I could write on anything. But I'm fairly platform agnostic, uh, but I found that my investment in Macs paid off more because I was replacing a laptop every five years as opposed to every three. Right. And what. I could justify paying that bit more for them. They do charge more for mm. you know, largely the same internal hardware. And there's there's a bunch of steps that Apple's taken in recent years that I'm not as big a fan of. Yeah, um, so But it, it is what I use day to day. Why,
0: were you, why do you think you were buying a, a new laptop every so many years? Because like, they were getting slow as the operating systems... Uh... He
1: types so much they just catch fire and he has to...
2: <laughs> I have worn out a few laptop keyboards, it's true. Oh, right, right. Um, well, physically, you know, worn w- 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 out the caps on them such that, and I touched up, so it didn't bother me. Hmm. But other people would come to them and go, "Hang on, where's, where's the, You know, <laughs> <laughs> that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. uh, some of it had to, some of it did have to do with the build quality of right. the laptops being made. And I mean, it's not. This is not a, a huge secret. There's only a few places that uh, factories that actually pump out most of the world's laptops. But there's definite quality differences between different models, even different Macs. Apple is not immune to this. They've had absolute claimers of runs of laptops. Yeah. And getting them to admit that is very, very tough. But I found that the, the MacBooks I was buying were lasting long enough to justify the higher asking price they were after them. They now do a few things I'm not as fond of, like uh, welding the memory to the, to the laptop itself, so you really can't update that. that yeah, yeah that, that's a
1: bit and what do you think about the touch bar? The touch
2: bar for me is functionally pointless. Right, it I
1: looks nice. I've heard so many people oh, say. Oh, it looks,
2: it looks, no, no, it looks, it looks beautiful. And I totally get that there is a market for it. It's not me because I'm a touch typist. I don't look down at the keys yeah. when I'm typing. Yeah. And whilst the function keys, I didn't use a whole bunch. I do have a few apps that use the escape key, and there's no escape key on a new MacBook Pro. It's, oh. it's part of the touch bar setup.
0: Right. Okay.
2: And because it's in that row, it's in that row yes. of escape. And so it renders there and I have to keep reminding myself, oh, okay, I've got to look down so I make sure I tap the right spot about the only thing that I've done with a touch which is kind of fun is that uh, predictive text game that you can do on smartphones as well uh, because it analyzes the way you write and it, tries to work out what words you're using. If you're using any kind of text editor or Word Processor or whatever, it'll put up a little list of predictive words where it thinks that you're going to type something. You can just sit there and tap in the sensor rapidly and it'll write a paragraph of not entirely gibberish based on the things that you <laughs> uh, you've, yeah.
1: tend to type in. <laughs> uh, uh, Alex's job is in jeopardy now. <laughs> <laughs> Auto-typing.
0: <laughs> and eventually,
2: my, yeah, eventually my MacBook Pro will be better at being me than I am.
0: Now, uh, would, I, would I be presumptuous in saying that you're then your iphone ipad person as well
2: actually you would be um, <laughs> uh, nothing against nothing no nothing against iOS so there. At all. yes <laughs> uh, so, and the practical reality i review phones for a living and the phone that i have this week is not going to be the phone that i have next week right it's not going to be the phone that i have the week after but the the reality of that is that I spend at least ninety percent of the year on Android phones because there's one major iPhone release a year. That's right, yes. And there's dozens upon dozens of Androids out there.
0: So in general then, say you've used an iPhone, I'd imagine. So uh, yeah, of course. what would you if you if you had to buy one to, to use all the time, would you would you land would, would you land Apple or Android, do you think, at this stage?
2: It's look uh, it's it's a tough call, but I would I would land Android at the moment because there's some really exceptional mid-to-premium phones. And, and, you know, your little cough of Samsung there uh, was 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 not unnoticed. Uh, if you were buying a premium phone at the moment, the, the S8 is a really, really great phone, but it's a premium phone at a premium price. If I was buying, I'd be buying outright. I wouldn't get it on contract. And if I was doing that there's some eight to nine hundred dollar phones at the moment which are truly exceptional value for what they are Mm. what we're seeing is because that market's become so mature it's quite hard to justify a full-on premium phone some of them are beautiful designs they're visually very very pretty but they're harder to justify when the camera and the processor and just the way these things operate fulfill so many people's needs it's exactly the same problem that the broad computer market has it's quite hard to sell a three thousand dollar laptop yeah. a $500 laptop will surf the web for you, do your word processing yeah. and cover those basic tasks you need.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, because well, I'm a I'm a PC and mobile, I go for an iPhone. So that's just, I like the iPhones. It's just, I, quite just easy. Like
1: the, <laughs> I quite like the Androids. Mostly I, I use the widgets quite a bit, but uh, I find it really inter- useful and it's going to be built into um, uh, 7. one or 7.2 and onwards. Uh, the ability to have password managers and stuff like that. I use LastPass on the desktop. So if I go to my iPhone and I go to a website that I have the password in LastPass, I have to exit out of the app, go to LastPass, launch that up, type in the passcode for that or use the thumbprint on there, then find the website, do a search, click on copy password, switch back to the other one, paste in the password, And with LastPass and things like that on the Android, which is going to be building the operating system, you just click on the username field and it says, oh, LastPass detects that it has a username password for this. Would you like me to chuck it in for you? Yep.
0: Yeah, oh, last pass is good. That's good. All right, uh, that just uh, brings us to the end of the show. You can see us uh, or follow us on Facebook.com forward slash Aussie techheads, Twitter.com forward slash Aussie TechEdge, and YouTube.com forward slash Aussie techheads. You can contact me, Glenn, at Uh Jason at warlock at aussietecheds.com.au. And I guess, Alex, have you got a, a Twitter or an email or just go to your website?
2: Yep, so you can follow me on Twitter at, at Alex Kidman, um, and honestly, actually, if you if you just Google my name, I'm about the first 200 results or something. It's, it's kind of <laughs> it's I'm not
1: good.
2: hard to find. No,
1: that's... it's like alexkidman.com.au, isn't it?
2: Oh yeah, that's
1: me as well. Oh okay, well, that's easy. <laughs> uh,
2: not 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 AU, but com is
1: me.
0: com. Oh sweet, good stuff. And you can also uh, hear a lot of uh, Australia uh, shows from Australia and New Zealand on our AussieTechRadio.com. dot com. And I think the uh, your one, Alex, that it's it's up there. Vertical hole. We put that in, yep. in the last couple of weeks. Yep. Uh, so you can go to AussieTechRadio.com and have a look at the instructions to hear that, or you just tune in on your tune in Radio app, cross-platform, and search up Aussie Tech Radio, and you'll find it. It's a wall-to-wall, 24-7 of Aussie shows, Aussie tech shows, and it is all new shows every Friday. So uh, good stuff. Get, get involved.
1: There even some New Zealanders.
0: Yeah, well, they've been a bit slack lately. There, there's been no shows from New Zealand. I hope it's still oh. there. I hadn't looked.
1: Nearly as bad as that Obsidian Loft and Old Fart
0: Geeks. Oh, yes, Obsidian Loft is back <laughs> an episode it's this week. Obsidian Loft. I saw it. I put it in the, in the radio spin today, so good stuff. And uh, also, I'm working on a new web page, so check that out when it comes. Hopefully, within, I don't know, within a week or so, We replace that old daggy one. All right. Uh, thank you, Jace. Thanks for coming in. And uh, no we'll hopefully see again. you next week. Thanks, Alex. It's been excellent to talk to you. Wonderful, entertaining, and uh, great to see you. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Thanks very much. And we'll see you guys hopefully next time as well. And for all the mums out there, happy Mother's Day for this week. So until then, until next week, it's bye for now from all of us. Cheers. bye